Happy Wednesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome. I gotta tell you, I've had a couple of days to reflect on the pay-per-view from the weekend. And coming up on today's show, I wanna revisit Brandon Moreno, botching his big moment. And then I'm also gonna take a look at the card for UFC 279 later on. But before we get to all that, let's begin here. Juliana Pena has come out says that she would like the rubber match with Amanda. I'm open to that, guys. I'm Personally, I'm open to that. Let's back up. Amanda goes down, biggest upset in the organization's history. That's the way the story is currently being told. Now, of course, that's a short-term memory. Matt Sarah over George St. Pierre. You understand the point. Okay. Great big upset. What happened? Why did Amanda lose that fight? Now, Amanda was very quick with the excuses. I mean, she, there was a, COVID was going on and she's, there was this bad knee, so she couldn't train and her own gym. I got to leave them. I can't trust them. They didn't have me prepared. I mean, there was a lot of things. I don't begrudge Amanda for excuses, by the way. Excuses and reasons, there's a very fine line. And you've got to find something that you truly believe was the cause. And Amanda did. I don't begrudge as I tell you she had excuses, but she laid them out. And if you really do believe that your gym was the cause, the training preparation that you got, you owe it to yourself to go do something different. That's what she did. I compliment all of those things. She identified something. She made the changes. Now, let's look at part two, okay? Because the, the problem with part one, regardless of the preparation, is Amanda found herself with an opponent that was a lot more difficult than she knew. But let's take a look at part two, because I'm not sure that exact same thing didn't just happen in reverse. Juliana knew what it was going to take to beat Amanda. She knew she was going to have to weather a storm, which no other girl has been able to do. She knew that first punch was going to be the absolute hardest punch. She knew that first round was going to be the absolute hardest round. What she didn't know was that Amanda could duplicate that round, that she made the necessary adjustments in training. What we all found out, I told you there's a, there's a very fine line between excuse and reason. But a rematch reveals which it is. That is an excuse COVID was going on. That is an excuse that my knee hurt. That is an excuse that Kayla Harrison has taken attention off me. Well, no, not so fast. If you leave that, go do the same thing and get an opposite result. It turned into a reason. It's very important that you know that. The fact that Amanda was able to go out and fight as well as Amanda was able to fight, not to mention, Amanda did two things that nobody's seen. When you want to compliment Amanda... Make sure you uh, acknowledge and that you observe two things that she did that nobody's discussing. First off, Amanda got on top repeatedly. All the girls in the division, all the trainers and coaches, at 145 and 135 and everybody that's ever thought and dreamed about bringing down the lioness, never knew they were going to have to deal with ground and pound. They never knew that. This is a whole new addition to the fear that you have of the skills of Amanda Nunes. Second thing Amanda did, and they fought twice now. Amanda has never been on bottom. Juliana wanted to get on top in both fights. 
Don't think you have to remind me how the second fight ended. You know, you don't have to talk about top, bottom. One, one person's in guard. They're taken down. They're held. You're pushing them in the fence. You're trying to find some elbows. One of these situations. Number one spot Juliano wanted to get to. Two opportunities to do it. Two different fights. Six and a half rounds in total. Never got there once. That's not an insult to Juliana. Juliana was doing everything right. It's a compliment to Amanda. Amanda's wrestling ability, offensively and defensively, was on point, but it also revealed something we didn't know. So now I feel perhaps Juliana found herself in a situation that was harder than she knew it was going to be. I don't think any of us believed that Amanda would be winning the fourth and fifth rounds, that Amanda would be getting takedowns and using control from the top to win those rounds, that Amanda would be pushing the pace. Amanda came out after the fact. She was talking with Megan O'Leary, and she said, I didn't want to finish her. I wanted to go all five rounds. I wanted to show the world the skills that I have and my ability to dominate. Now, there is nothing more dominant in fighting than shutting somebody out. Nothing. One judge gave Amanda a 10-8 round. Gave her every round, but one of them was a 10-8. Another judge, Douglas Crosby, gave two 10-8 rounds to Amanda. That is the most dominant thing that you can possibly do. I came from the sport of wrestling. They like to tell you that pinning somebody is the most dominant. They're wrong. They're wrong. That's what we tell the audience. Amongst the boy, you get pinned, I, I got caught. No problem. Let's do it again. There's something called a technical fall. A technical fall is like the mercy rule in baseball, where if you get so far ahead, the referee, out of mercy to the opponent, will just stop the match. There is nothing reasonable that shows me that this opponent could ever come back, just stop the match, and get him out now. Bad matchup. Both of you go move on with your careers. Okay. Shutting somebody out is the absolute most dominant thing you can do. So when Amanda says, I didn't want to finish her, this is what Amanda's talking about. I did not want a fluke. I did not want to catch her the way she caught me. I didn't want to put her down, put her out, and have this fight stopped. I wanted her to know for the duration of the match, there is no situation or scenario that you can beat me so that you never want to fight me again. That is the message that Amanda was giving to Megan Olivi after the fight. I respect it and I understood it. Not to mention it's, it's what I just saw. I just saw that happen. Either way, that is a more difficult scenario than Juliana knew she was getting into. So now they're even. I mean, they really are in that regard. Amanda was due a rematch because she found something out. She was caught off guard. That's what the fluke was. The fluke wasn't the choke or the hole. It was none of those things. Whoa, this is more serious than I thought it was. Okay, well, that just happened to, to Juliana. Can you rematch them? One and one, history says not only can you, you have to. I get that. But... When you have the most dominant thing that can happen, which is 25 minutes of domination, one judge even gives it 10-8, another judge gives it two 10-8s, and nobody disagrees, including Julie, nobody disagrees. How do you get to the rematch? I'm open to it. I'm just asking, how do you get there? Is it best to do, let's say we're going to rematch, guys. Let's just say we're going to rematch, okay? Do we do it at 135 pounds? Or do we say that this is settled? Juliana steps forward to 145, says, I'm now the number one. If Dana White tells you you're not the number one contender at 135, you're not getting the opportunity. And she says, fine, I'm now a 45-pounder. Bring me anybody you think that's in front of me. I'll go ahead and do one right now just to show you I'm the number one 45-pounder. Dana's a little bit stuck, in all fairness. 
Unless Juliana can't take out whoever Dana says is the rightful number one contender. I mean, do you see where this is a problem? We can't just throw Juliana, there, Juliana in there with Amanda. We can't just do this all day long. At some point, Dana says, I've given you two opportunities. That's fair, but if she remains the number one contender, and the rankings do matter to some degree, if a fellow 135 can't beat her, if, even if the fellow 135 is given the opportunity, what would happen if Juliana moved to 145? put her flag in the ground and said, here I am. Am I the number one contender? What if somebody came back and said, no? And Juliana said, okay, great. Whoever you think is, bring them on. If you can even get them to sign the contract. If you can even find a 45-pounder willing to get in here and fight me, bring them on. I will do one, but then I'm coming after Amanda. You're, you're a little bit stuck. You really are. That's reasonable to me. That would represent and follow the integrity of the sport for me. And I'm watching Colby Covington, who is the clearest number one contender in any division that we have. And that is not because of my relationship with Colby, guys. In all fairness, you're arguing everywhere you go. Who should be the number one contender? Who should be ranked number one? Who ever At 170, Colby is clearly, and more clear than any other division, the number one contender. He can't get the title fight. What is the point of being the number one contender if you can't get the title fight? Well, before you think Colby's getting screwed, there's more to the story. He's had that opportunity twice against the same guy, right? It's, it's one of these spots. So I get that Juliana just forgiving Amanda her hardest nights or her hardest fights or making it 25 minutes, which is something very few have done, or having stopped her at one point and even got her hand raised. Doesn't necessarily qualify her for the same thing at the same weight class. If Juliana was to move up to 45 and Amanda wasn't there, Juliana would walk right into a beautiful position, which is either a title fight or one fight away. And no scenario would it be worse than that if she had to do the one fight and she won to take on whoever the champion is. But it happens to be Amanda. So the rules are very different. They both found themselves in positions that were harder than they thought it was going to be. And not to mention, guys, I, once you get all of that out of the way, I just laid out the integrity of the sport, the competitive architecture that we have which is something we're fiercely going to hear, adhere to as we make up the rules as we go. It's one of those things. What else do you want her to do? And Shevchenko versus Amanda works. Those girls, right, they think it works because they're both so great. Well, they're close. Shevchenko versus Amanda works because one of them's going to get beat. That's what really is going to bring the audience in. The audience is not there to see the winner. They're guaranteed to see something that they don't see very often. They're going to see one of those girls lose. That's the whole reason that somebody's O must go. 30-0 and o versus 28-0. Somebody's O must go. It doesn't matter if it's college football, basketball. Like the, the O must go, as corny as that is, it works every time. But it doesn't work for the reasons that the athletes and the participants and the teams thinks it works, which is one of us is really going to be the best. We're going to hold this trophy up. We're going to be the true champ. No, the audience tunes in because one of you is going to get beat. And quite frankly... We acknowledge your greatness. We're sick of seeing you win. If you guarantee me that I get to see a rotten moment for one of you, I will guarantee you my two hours of time and my $50. That's the exchange here. Now, that's a tough sell in my opinion. I know that the bullet is talking about that she wants to do it. The bullet is something special. And if she really does, there's an opportunity there to move up to 135. And I think that we would likely tune in. But for Amanda to not be interested in beating somebody that she's already beaten twice when she could just float up to 145, 
See who the only willing participant is. You want to be a number one contender, 145 pounds. It's no different than when Chris Cyborg was running the show. Raise your hand. You're the only one. But getting a 145-pounder to step forward and say, I would like to fight Amanda, is like getting a boxer to step forward and say, I'll get in there with Jake Paul. For whatever reason, you just won't do it. So that's my thoughts on the future of the women's division. And now I want to take a look again at what transpired after the co-main event at UFC 277. So Moreno's in the cage, right? It's a post-fight. Now you got to know what time it is at all times. You have to at all times know who's in the building. To walk in and know that you're going in to an interim title fight. An interim title only means one thing in our business. And I like them. I'm a big supporter of the interim title. But it only means one thing. It means you're the number one contender. That's it. If the undisputed champion, for whatever reason, does not return, your interim championship will be elevated to an undisputed championship. I think that's been tested one time. I think that that was done, and that's how Daniel Cormier got it. I could even have that wrong. But we know that it becomes a number one contendership. So Figueredo has to know... I apologize. Moreno has to know if I get the jump on Kai Car, Figueredo's right there. He has to know that. If he did not know ahead of time, if he did not know on fight week... Now, he later came out and said that he ran into Figueredo at the hotel and that they had a face-to-face, and it was real because the daughter wasn't there to watch it. So he wasn't going to be insincere to look like a nice guy. He was going to be himself. This is him talking. This is Moreno telling the story. So he knew Figueredo was in town. He's seen Ultimate Fighting Championship pay-per-views before. He knew Figueredo was going to be in the front row. Now, it used to be you always brought the guy into the ring. We quit doing that because it was cringeworthy. You do not force a face-off. It's terrible. Now, no one knew that. We had to test that, and I'm going all the way back to 2009 and 10 and 11 when we were doing this on a consistent basis. But we found out if it's not organic, don't do it. It looks like you're going for a WWE moment. It looks like it's being forced. The athletes don't want to be there. It's cringeworthy. It doesn't work. And that's why we stopped doing it. We've only made one exception since we pulled the plug on that. And guys, really, it was about 2009, 2010. We pulled the plug on doing that. There was one exception which was the night that Daniel Cormier got the jump on Stipe Miocic and Brock Lesnar got in the ring. Now, that's a totally different deal. For a a number of obvious reasons, you got to bring Brock in the ring. You got Brock, a $5 million guy, and you got him for free in your ring. You put him in the ring. We all understand that. But now you fast forward to Figueredo. Somehow they let Figueredo jump the fence. Okay, no problem. It even sounded as though Moreno called for him. He said, where's Figueredo at? He started looking for him. For Figueredo to interpret that, that you want to talk about, okay, fair game. But for Moreno to not know how he was going to deal with that moment. I get that hindsight's 2020. Imagine I'm Figueredo, and this guy comes walking the ring with his sunglasses and his belt. I got a couple of options. First, if I could thank him. I'm holding the microphone. I could thank him, reach out, and thank him for bringing me my belt. I could reach up and try to take it off the son bitch's shoulders. I thought you were bringing it to me. You could also tell him the truth, which is this belt I've gotten, nothing more than a number one contendership. It wasn't supposed to be Kai Car tonight. It was supposed to be you. But you hurt your little finger. Apparently, hurting your little finger doesn't preclude you from putting on sunglasses, getting on an airplane, coming to an arena, holding the nachos and a Coke, and putting that belt around your shoulder. Seems like you want to do everything tonight, including get on the camp. You want to do everything tonight except for fight me. There was a number of things that could have done to make this interesting. Or he could have just told him the truth. I'm sick of fighting you, but I think that I'm better than you. I beat you, you beat me, and we had a draw, man. This thing is dead goddamn even. I got a belt and you got a belt. Why don't you go to 135? 
The only thing to ever beat you aside from me is the skill. Go to 135 and get out of the division. There's a number of things you could have done with it. Apparently, earlier in the evening, I watched the fight. I enjoyed the fight, but I didn't hear this. After the fight, and I got to say it that way. I got to say it because I'm not positive it did happen. I listened to the whole thing, but the media is now reporting that Joe Rogan at some point in the broadcast, during Kai Carr versus Moreno, that Joe Rogan said to Anik and Cormier sitting there with him, for me, this is the real world championship fight. I don't think Figueredo's ever going to come back. I don't think the winner of Kaikar and Moreno is going to face Figueredo, regardless of what's reported. I think Figs is going up. Now, that's wishful thinking. Because I wish that too. I wish it to the point that I'm damn near wanting to predict it. Figueredo should leave. You got one and one and a draw. Go through your life and be happy. People don't want to see that fight. You two don't want to do the, quit pretending you want to do the fight. There's a big difference and I'm willing to do, I'll do the fight and I want to do the fight. It's a big difference. Figueredo at 135 is a very exciting idea, by the way. Figueredo versus Moreno, for my money, for my money, Figueredo is clearly a better fighter. I know you, I know you guys could push back and you, you would have the evidence to do that because Moreno has done a great job with him. I'm just sharing for you. The face-off was a botch. That we got to watch that fight again, and we got to watch it again. I mean, I really think that Joe Rogan might have a, a hold of the right tool here. Maybe he's got the right tool by the wrong end, but I feel like we're on top of something. Figueroa and his best work is 135 pounds. Now, Figueroa has felt disrespected. I can tell you as a fighter, that's one hell of a motivation. For Figueredo to now be in this spot, here we are face-to-face. -face. This has been announced. Dana announced it. You got the golden ticket. The interim championship is your golden ticket into a title fight of which I'm the champion. Very hard to back down at this point, right? If respect is one of those things that you care about, if saving face, if image is one of those things that you care about, and I trust that Figueredo does, it's a very tight spot. But eventually reality is going to set in that his big ass is going to have to get down to 125 pounds. That's a hard, hard proposition. He struggled and even failed to make weight when he was fighting consistently prior to an injury, prior to being out, prior to being on the shelf. I imagine you could get pretty good workouts in when, when the only part of your body that hurts is a finger, I imagine. So I imagine we're probably past this point. And even though I want, whether Joe Rogan said it or not, I want Joe to be right. I want him gone. I could come with a lot of parody at 135. I think Figueredo is very special. Figueredo versus guys, and I always have to hear from you guys. I always, but I'm not sure why. Like, like this isn't Chael sharing an opinion that you don't want to see the fight. I can prove it. I'm audited publicly. The very page that you're on watching this has the number of other people that wanted to watch this. If I want to be out of business over here, all I got to do is be resigned to talking about Figueredo versus Moreno. Nobody wants to see this, and now we've botched a spot. I don't know what Figueredo was in there in the first place for. In all fairness, whoever decided to let him in, let him through the apron and let him come in, Moreno did call for him. That's very different. Moreno did say, where is he? That can be interpreted as I would like to speak to him. I want Rogan to be right. I want Figueredo to leave. And there's a lot of fun, by the way. 
I think I get misinterpreted a little bit when, I, when I'm burying Fig versus Moreno. Oh, no, no, no. I, I got big ideas for Moreno. Very special talent. Very special appeal. Particularly, I mean, when you bring an entire nation with you, come on. Very special. Figueredo, boy, at 135 pounds, we got some parity. We got some matches that we could make. This is not against them. It's not even against them fighting. It's not even against them fighting again. Not even against the fact that they fought again after. It's the fact that they're going to fight another time. I'm good. Please stop. If you're living paycheck to paycheck or struggling to make ends meet, it can be really stressful when unexpected expenses come up. I myself am no stranger to being in tight spots with money. There were definitely some rough patches during my early days of competing. I wish there were companies like Dave when I was coming up. Dave is a banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly by signing up for their extra cash account. That's more money to fill your gas tank or catch up on bills. You can finally tackle those unexpected expenses that have been stressing you out without any hangups. There's no interest and no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and need some extra help, listen to Uncle Chael and go to the App Store and download the Dave app right now. That's Dave, D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve. Member FDIC. The future you will thank you. Jake Paul, Top Ramen. Now, guys, where do you begin on this? I don't know of what angle to attack this. Top Ramen had a contract that he agreed to. He is saying things now, such as, when you offered me that contract, I had 45 minutes to sign it. There was no proper negotiation. Okay, that has nothing to do with anything. I mean, that would never even be admissible in court, quite literally. You signed it, whatever happened before that, absent to unwilling, absent to a gun to your head, it's a legally binding contract. Top Ramen has brought this up, and the community of boxing has supported him. Top Ramen weighed 216 pounds the first time the New York State Athletic Commission checked on him. 24 days later, I'm making that up. 26 days later, I'm real close. 28 days later, I mean, you guys get my point. He was less than one pound. Lost. Wait, right? Now that's simple calories into calories out. Top Ramen came out and said, my body could not lose any more weight. That, of course, is, is impossible. Of course. It's calories into calories out. There's something known as physiology. That, that is impossible. But if you mentally had to eat the food and couldn't do the work, you don't get to lose weight. I'm not giving him a hard time. I'm saying for him to bring that forward would not be admissible. Nobody reasonable would even listen to that. The boxing community supported him. He was planning, which he has now revealed. This is not an opinion. This is not a conspiracy theory at this point in time. He has revealed openly, I was never going to come down to 200 pounds. 
The contract and the agreement was that he weigh in at 200 pounds on Friday. When he reported to the arena on Saturday, he weighed 210 pounds. Now, from the time that he reports to get in the ring is about seven hours. He's going to have a period of time. He can get into the ring whatever he wants is what I'm sharing for you. But he's going to weigh 200 on Friday. He's going to weigh 210 on Saturday. If he doesn't do that, he's going to be fined 25% for every pound that he is over. So at four pounds over, you now make no money. He was going to come in at 215 pounds. He was going to defer to his contract where the million dollars goes bye-bye. He gets a minimum pay of five grand. He's going to take the five grand, but he's going to knock out Jake Paul, become a big star. Within his mind, this is his plan, and he revealed it. So his argument that he was making is, I should not be looked at for fault, even though I wasn't going to make 200 pounds, and even though I knew I was going to breach the contract, because the contract has a built-in remedy for that. I was willing to accept the punishment, and therefore off we go. Now, if we were, again, if we were to put that in other terms, simple terms, these aren't, they aren't even close, but you'll understand this. If a guy goes and robs a bank and he knows for the million dollars he can steal that he's going to do seven years in prison, if he takes the million dollars and then comes out and says, I'm willing to do the seven years in prison, let me have the million dollars. No, they're going to, they're going to take the money back and you're going to go to prison. Is an extremely flawed mindset. The boxing community has accepted it and supports Top Ramen. There has not been a boxer. We're 48 hours removed. There has not been a boxer. There hasn't even been a boxing promoter. I mean, Eddie Hearn or Bob Arum didn't even speak up. In defense of Jake Paul, nobody has defended him. It's the opposite. They're defending Raman. There's a guy, and you got to know who this guy is. I would say his name for you if I could pronounce it. He's a very legitimate boxer. He can't make any money, but I mean, he's been in there a bunch of times. He's even got some championships. He is all over Top Raman's timeline on social media defending him, talking about it's only a few pounds and Jake is scared. Jake didn't do this because Jake is scared. Everything comes back to Jake is scared. Now, guys, if I ever call you a liar... It means I lie, right? If I call you a cheater, it, mean, it means I'm a cheater. Have you met people like this? They always think you're getting ready to screw them over, and you're like, no, hey, I would never do that. But they are. Whenever they think this is you, they're really they're revealing themselves, right? It's the old expression. When you point one finger, three are coming back at you. But it's, it's very real in life. So this boxer keeps talking about scared. And I'm glad that he did because that's a real word in the boxing community. They get scared, and when they're scared, they don't go do something. Human beings are human beings. You all get scared. MMA fighters, they all get scared. And MMA fighter scared or excited, confident he's going to win or confident he's not, will walk out there anyway. He'll walk out there and compete. He'll prepare for it. He'll do his best and he'll roll the dice. These boxers that are using the word scared to represent Jake, they're talking about themselves and they're talking about their own community. I run into fake tough guys all the time. I knew fake tough guys when I was in Bellator. I knew them when I was in the Ultimate Championship. They were in the locker room. With, I knew fake tough guys all the time. But the fake tough guys would do the real work when the lights went on. And in boxing, they won't. I don't have a problem with how this whole thing went down. I have a problem with the lack of understanding of how this whole thing went down and the defense of Raman. I have never seen Raman. By the way, guys, 
Did Raman have a bigger supporter than me? He might have. Fair question. But did he, did he have one? I told you guys I went down a rabbit hole. I was watching this guy. I actually watched the fight with Gunn, the fight that he lost. And I still came away seeing the skill. I still came I came out and told you guys it's a lot harder fight than Jake knows he's in. And the odds are wrong. Jake should not be the favorite. I believed in Raman. I didn't believe, you know, he could have beat him or something. That's between those two guys. I don't know what kind of shape he shows up in. I don't know what his conditioning is like. I'm just sharing for you. That was a very hard test. That was a harder test than the flurry kid. So I come to you and I'm sharing that he, he's not going to take the money. He was prepared to not take the money in the beginning. He was prepared to pull a double cross, go opposite of the contract, accept the default. Rob the bank, but we're willing to do his time in prison. Okay, this was his plan. You have to understand something about New York, all right? Oh, by the way, after this fight was pulled, Raman's done more media. Raman's done more media since the fight was pulled than he did when the fight was on. But he has never had a level of stress go down. There is never a clear lower tension in the room than the interviews he's doing since this fight has been scrapped. It really shows that he didn't want to do the fight. I mean, you want to talk about who's scared. I don't get it. I don't get why that, Matt, you're scared. You're scared. I don't get that. That's child. That's little kid talk. But if you do want to do that, there's one guy that's upset the fight isn't going. That's Jake. There's one guy who was preparing to rig the deck, forfeit all of his money to have a few pounds so that he could cheat to go out and compete with a the guy. There's one guy disappointed this is over. There's one guy happy this is over. And I wouldn't even be talking to you if it wasn't for the defense of the boxing community. You wonder why Dana White is not going to jump in there with tens of millions of dollars, changing the community, changing multiple athletes and their trainers and their managers and their teams and their families' lives. It's not going to happen now. And it's not going to happen because you have people such as the boxer, whose name I can't pronounce, but you'll see him in the timeline of Top Ramen if you go over there right now, that think that Top Ramen's in the right. It's disgusting, and it's disappointing to a very high level. One thing you may not understand, in New York, and I believe this is unique to New York. Now, we have 50 different jurisdictions just within the United States, which is way too goddamn many, but we have 50 of them. I believe that New York is the only one that has a rule that two opponents that are fighting must be within 10%. They must be within 10% of each other's body weight. Now, this got tested at a very high level, and it got tested in the heavyweight class. Two athletes that are both heavyweights, they're in the same division, were not allowed to fight in New York. It was canceled one day before. You guys have heard of the Professional Fight League. Before it was Professional Fight League, it was World Series of Fighting. When they were World Series of Fighting, they went to New York. They had two heavyweights fighting. One was 264, which is within the limit, and one was 210, which is within the limit. New York canceled the fight because of an extremely unknown and unusual clause that's on their books that you must be within 10%. These guys were in the same division. They could fight anywhere in the world except there. Well, that's where the fight was happening, and the fight was canceled. Jake Paul can only weigh so much. He weighs about 190 pounds, but he really can't get to 93. He really can't get to 95. The same as Top Ramen losing weight, it's calories into calories out. Jake Paul can't train and eat enough calories. 
So it weighs about 190 pounds. I can't tell you better than that. I got to call him about, about 190. So if Rahman's going to come in at 215, which is his plan, they would have canceled the fight. The fight cannot happen. It's why it was so important that he weigh in at 200 pounds. Is why Jake put the extra motivation in the clause of the 25%, not what you guys believe, which is that he thought it gave him an advantage. It was the only way they could legally do the fight. If Rahman comes in over the numbers that are contracted, the state cancels the fight. Now, the state was so concerned with the weight cut that they were monitoring and we ended up in this position in the first place. But anybody that thinks that Jake should have just, well, then to hell with it. Put on five more pounds and five more pounds and five. It's not his call. You're misunderstanding what happened here. At one point, Jake said, fine, do it at 205. Because that's what the commission said. Said, we will not do it at 200. We will do it at 205. Jake said, then do it at 205. But when Raman says, no, I'm coming in at 215, there's a mathematical equation. Jake just can't gain the weight. I don't think that you guys understood that. I don't think anybody that thought Raman was on the right side of this understood that. I think that you think that Jake pulled it. There's even stories coming out there wasn't enough tickets sold and things like this. Look, I, I don't know what this does for the Jake Paul experiment. I really don't know. I was very surprised Tyron Woodley Part 2 did as poorly as it did. Generally, the sequel does better. It surprised me. My only comment on that. There was a gal on this card with Jake. Her last fight was at Madison Square Garden. It sold out completely. They brought her back. Now, she was going to be co-made, but they brought her back. I thought that in and of itself would have brought in some tickets and a little bit of interest. There's something here that I'm missing. But when the story came out that only a million dollars in tickets had been sold, the conspiracy then came out that they want to unwind and send this back. You, Jake Paul got smashed on this. Millions and millions of dollars go out if you cancel an event. We've had organizations with an MMA affliction comes to mind that they canceled an event, it put them out of business. They never came back. The amount of money that you put over to, to then not open those doors and turn those cameras on is enough to send meaningful, successful companies out of business. And it's a very peculiar spot that Jake's in right now. What are you going to do? If the Jake Paul experiment is going to go on, it needs to go back to what it was, which is a famous Disney kid from YouTube fighting other famous people. And you can grab yourself some rappers and entertainers. You can grab actors. You can grab other professionals. You can grab guys from the world of MMA. You can't do business with boxers. It is a dirty, filthy community who is currently supporting the actions of ramen who openly violated a contract. To close out today's show, I've just learned about the rest of the card for UFC 279. And spoiler alert, guys, it's not that impressive. But regardless, I'm still excited for the night. Nate Diaz, Hazmat Chamayev. Guys, what's your temperature on this? I mean, I very back and forth, right? I would not have predicted that was a match that was going to happen for you. 
One, because Nick was offered that. Now, I can get the, the, the Diaz boys have a code. Just the fact that Nick was even offered that fight could take Nate out of it. But Nate was also offered as far back as November of last year and wasn't interested. I just wanted to predict it for you this was going to happen. So now that we get here and the odds come out and they're completely dismiss, uh, dismissing Nate, that also gets a bigger from me coming out. Going, whoa, just a second. Nate Diaz will whip anybody's ass that's ever done this sport. Do, do not start treating him that way. If you got a guy that can go out and beat the hell out of him, tell me where he's going to do it. Nate has only lost one thing in his entire illustrious career. In all fairness, guys, it's position. And Nate wouldn't even agree with you because he believes in jiu-jitsu so much, he thinks he's got the better position. But in fairness, if you look at the judges or you look at spots where Nate's got in trouble, the only thing he's lost is position. Takes a few more leg kicks than a guy should have to, and he loses position. That's it. He's never quit. He's never gotten tired. He never broke in the locker room. He never wilted because he was the underdog. He doesn't care about main event spots, three rounds, five rounds, any way that you want to do it. So I must tell you, I get a little bit of an energy up when I hear that Nate's going to go out and he's going to lose and it's going to be 12 to 1 based on what evidence? If you want to base this on evidence in history and use that as the greatest trajectory for the future, you got a long, drawn-out evening here. Even if Nate is getting overwhelmed in the rounds, you got a whole lot of rounds to look forward to. Or are we so far down crazy lane that we think Nate's going to go out there and get stopped? Which in all the time that he's given somebody an opportunity to do that, they have not done that. Now, Chemaev is something special. We all understand that. He's younger and he's got this energy and he's not looking to go do something else. And this is where he wants to be. He's got all sorts of things pointed in his favor. I fully concede that. But as you try to say it's a 12 to 1 spread, you're taking any opportunity that Chemayev has to have a glorious moment. You're taking it away. Chemayev twice has been booked in number one contender's bouts. He was signed with Leon, which we we're all told winner fights for the belt. He was then rumored to be on a card in Long Island that is now behind us against Colby Covington that we all know would be the number one contender's match. So if Chemayev's going to go out and do this lifting against Nate, and you take his ability for any kind of a glorious moment away, you take away his ability to have an argument that this is a number one contender's match. It's rude. Quite frankly, it's just rude. As great as Jemayev is, guys, and he is, and he is undefeated, and he is special, and he is young, as great as he is, as polished up and beautiful as you think that resume is, it does not touch the resume of Conor McGregor. Period. Conor McGregor has won so many world championships, he forgot about one. You cannot put Champ Champ on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. You're not even supposed to say it in the public domain. Conor has trademarked it. That's funny to me because he's not a Champ Champ. He is a Champ Champ Champ. I was there. I watched the night he beat Chad Mendez. He is an interim world championship. He is a 45 championship. He is a 55-pound championship. He forgot about why. I mean, this is the level of success. That Nate Diaz, who had won the Ultimate Fighter many years before, had to walk into a crowd that was chanting for McGregor and dismissed Nate Diaz. Odds makers that favored it all for the Irishman and dismissed Nate Diaz. Do you remember how that fight went? I mean, I'm just sharing for you. You want to, you want to act, he doesn't have a chance. Who, who are you talking about? You must have the wrong... Do you think it's Joey Diaz? Maybe you read the wrong name. This is Nate Diaz. 
but I am seeing, and I'm asking, I'm asking over here, guys, what is your temperature on this? Because a lot of the Nate fans don't love it. They do think it's a little too young. It's, it's a little too active. It's a little too, right, there's something to be said for motivation. It's a guy coming off a win. It's a guy coming off of a lot. Like, there's just some things the fans didn't like it. And I'm here to tell you, this is going to be a wonderful night of business, regardless of what it feels like right now. This will be wonderful because the psychology of the fan, and this doesn't come in until the last minute, and I'm talking four days before the fight, two days before the fight. What if? What if is going to make this fight the blockbuster that it deserves to be? No matter how slow it appears right now. I'm here to talk to you about something else. I digressed into that. Here's the point. I saw the card today. I saw the whole card. I got it. I forwarded it off to my partner, Ryan. We discussed the card. I'm not trying to be a condescending. You know I don't do that. I like the boys. Come on. I couldn't tell you a name on the card. I just looked at the card. I studied the card. I sent it off to... I sat down in this chair to discuss it with you. And I'm drawing a blank. I can't... I don't want anybody on the card. That includes the co-main event. Two tough guys. Can't produce their names. There has never been a card in MMA that Dana White has done that resembles a boxing card. And by that term, boxing does not have an event. It does not have a night of fights. It doesn't have a card. It has a fight. Dana is putting this event together with a fight. And I'm only bringing this to you because what happens if one of these guys misses? You've probably found the most two reliable guys that you could depend on. Nate Diaz would walk out there tonight because he's, he's got a whole other objective. Chemayev, do it in the back, no problem. Do it in the locker room right now. I mean, you probably do have the right two guys, but what if? What if, what if you don't? I don't know if there's ever been a time that having a backup fighter is more important. No title on the line. It's not a number one contendership. I get it. I, th I think it's more important right now. On this specific night in this specific card. And if any of you look at the card the same way that I did and you turn your nose up, I'm telling you and I'm promising you now you don't understand the psychology that is yours. The psychology of the fight fan. It is going to come down to what if. What if Nate Diaz shoves this up everybody's ass? grabs that microphone, burns the house down, and makes a, an announcement for what he's doing next. What if? It's going to be a really interesting night. The card's a little different than we're used to. That's just the truth. I can't, I can't change that. I can't say that different. I think a backup fighter is really important right now. I think that the fellow 70-pounders that are looking for something to do, and I, I've been very surprised at how few of the 70-pounders are booked. Shamaya versus Blahal Muhammad is just blatantly obvious, but it's not what happened. And Blahal doesn't have an opponent. I like the backup spot. Not everybody does. I like the interim championship. Not everybody does. I wouldn't be opposed to Blahal repackaging what I just said, bringing that back to you, and saying that's the position that I would like. I think there's massive opportunity there. I don't think Blahal Muhammad should be called on anything short of a main event. And even if it's a backup spot, he's got something to train for. He gets his paperwork done. He gets his light, gets his weight under control. I don't see anything bad that comes from it. And there could be a real opportunity here. And if any card is going to be in trouble, 
if the main event falls through, it's this one. I saw the card earlier today. It's, it's this one. It's top heavy. Backup fighter. I'm submitting Blahal Muhammad, but what I'm here to ask you, who do you think it should be? Who would you like it to be? Who would you like to see on standby, but on 24 hours notice, could fill in either against Chemayev or against Nate Diaz? All right, guys, that's it for today's program. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you want more analysis in the fight game from me, just head on over to my YouTube channel. Be sure to come back on Friday. It's going to drop at 5 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.